Well, good morning, everyone. Happy Resurrection Sunday. Happy Easter, church family. We miss you. We are sure looking forward to being back together with you soon. But today we celebrate a risen Savior, a, ra a risen King. Do me a favor on Facebook. Go ahead and hit share right underneath. You can do a watch party, but spread the gospel around the world today. Give people hope and let them know there's a Savior that came, that he died, and he rose again to sit on the throne as their king. Father, we love you. We thank you for this time together this morning. Thank you to have it, the praises of your people. Thank you so much, God, for what you have done. And Jesus, thank you for being willing to come and pay the price so that we can have a relationship with you. Praise God. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become his righteousness he humbled himself and carried the cross love so amazing love so amazing Jesus Messiah Rescue 
Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin have left a crimson stain, he washed me white as snow. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin have left a crimson stain. He washed me white as snow.
above any other name. Praise you, Father God. Sing your name. Your name, your name is victory. All praise will rise to Christ our Good news, church. Let's sing that out this morning. Because our God has robbed the grave. Yeah. Your name, your name is victory. All praise will rise to Christ our King. Spirit, I will rise from the ashes of defeat. The resurrected King is resurrecting me, and in your name I come alive to declare your victory. The resurrected 
is resurrecting me and by your spirit I will rise from the ashes of defeat the resurrected king is resurrecting me and in your name I come alive to declare your victory the resurrected king is resurrecting Savior, seated in majesty. We are so grateful, Lord. Not just today, but today is the day that the word celebrates, that the world celebrates. But God, we remember every single day. Use this day, Father God, as a mark on people's calendar, but on a day that hearts would turn towards you. That your church would rise up around the world and speak boldly the name of Jesus and proclaim the name of Jesus so that others would come to know you, Father. We are so grateful for that name, the most wonderful name, the name above all names, Jesus Christ, our risen and victorious King. Praise you, Father God. Praise you, Lord. Well, good morning, and uh, happy Easter to you. Happy Resurrection Day. Praise the Lord. I'm just so thankful for technology that we can be together like this. Hallelujah. God is good. Amen. We want to remind you to please share um, the video um, stream that you're watching this morning to your friends so that other people can join in with us. And um, you can also start a watch party as well. We also want to remind you um, that you can access past services as well as different series that Pastor Mike has done. There's some great services up there on healing, on righteousness, on the authority of the believer, on prayer. And um, we need to, it's so important in these times to keep ourselves built up in the Word of God and in faith. And um, so you can go to our website at foothillfamily.com and access those there. We want to remind you about that. This morning, um, oh, one other thing is um, uh, the children have um, uh, Lawrence, Lauren Smith and her husband, Chad. They posted a great um, Easter lesson for the children on Facebook uh, this morning. And so be sure to take advantage of that, parents, and go there with your kids, and they can have their own children's uh, service today. They're also going to be uh, sending a link to parents that you can access um, through your email and follow that link as well. A few testimonies that we want 
wanted to give you um, that we heard from uh, people in our church this week, and this is just what we've heard about. Um, people are taking, they're taking opportunities and they're making opportunities. That's what we have to do. Boy, we have to seize the day and the hour that we're living, and people in our church are doing that. So these were just a few of them that I've heard about, and they were really exciting. Um, one youth girl, um, she has, you know, these days the youth, they're, they all want to be, you know, um, social media icons. If you ask them, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they'll say, well, I want to have a huge following on Instagram, and I want to make lots of money, and that's what I want to do when I, <laughs> when I grow up. Well, in, in one instance, one girl in our church, she's actually doing that, but she's using it for the gospel. And um, she has a lot of followers on Instagram, and she has been doing Bible studies. You know, I don't remember now um, if it was um, once a week or daily. I don't recall right now. Hmm. It couldn't be once a week. I think it's every day she's doing these Bible studies. And right now she has 100 different young people who are following her on this Bible study. What's interesting is that they're asking her, how do you know so much about the Bible? How do you walk in victory? You know, how, how is it that you have answers to what's going on? And uh, she does have that. Her mom is helping her uh, when she gets some questions, uh, and she helps her, you know, with some of those answers. But she's able, here's a young person, a youth in our church, who is able to minister to and to witness and to share the Word of God with other uh, teenagers her age. What a blessing that is. We rejoice in that one. There also, we have a, a group of moms. Um, they um, have done this several times, but this week they did um, cards, they did banners, they did various things for Hogue Hospital in Newport Beach. Um, they, they did it not only for the people um, in the hospital, but also for the healthcare workers, just to tell them how much we appreciate them. And so um, the families excuse me, the families in our church as well as um, other friends of theirs, they, they, uh, they got together and they, um, the kids uh, wrote all kinds of stuff to the people in that hospital, and so that's a blessing as well. We also have word and have seen for ourselves different women in our church who are doing Bible studies, who are do doing daily encouragements for people to, um, on their Facebook, and so that is also going on. Then the last thing that I wanted to share with you was... Um, uh, um, one lady in our church, um, she is, God bless her, uh, hey Susie, God bless her, she is a, a worker in a grocery store. Now, she's the very best that there is. Well, anyway, she told me this this last week. So one of her coworkers tested positive um, for the virus, and it kind of freaked everybody out in the store. Then I guess a couple of the managers were out, so they were very shorthanded. And you know how fear can be. Fear, you can just sometimes cut it with a knife. You know, it, 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 fear is the spirit. It's a force. And so she said you could just feel it, you know, among all the workers in the grocery store where she was. She said, and it was starting to get to me. But then she said this. She said, um, my spirit, oh dear, I can't even read my own writing. Um, uh, my spirit, oh, here's what it is. My spirit kicked in and I began to minister scriptures of protection to myself. And it calmed down my mind. It calmed down my emotions. She just said it just rose up on the inside of me. And then she said this, the word of God that we have been taught 
has prepared us for times like these. Amen. So we're just so grateful um, that the people in our church and our church family are looking for opportunities um, to help others, to minister to others, to reach out to others. And we want to encourage you to do that. We want to encourage you to reach out to um, to the elderly or uh, family members and different ones. And we have all kinds of that going on. It's a beautiful thing. Now, uh, we have a special video that we're going to show you this morning um, because we can't see everybody's face here today. And so we um, had some of the families in our church uh, send us uh, Easter greeting videos, and we're going to let you watch that right now. Happy Easter! Happy Easter, everyone. We miss seeing you. Hey, church family. I just wanted to wish you guys a happy Easter. And I miss you all. I hope you have a great day. And I look forward to seeing you back very, very soon. So uh, I'll see. Excuse me. Excuse me. Sir. Sir. How'd you get in there? Oh, Pastor Mike. Sorry, Pastor Mike. Hi, Foothill family. David and I wish you a blessed Easter. Happy, happy Easter, Easter from, from the Lent family. We love and miss you all. Happy Easter from the Brombies. One of the things we miss most is rolling into church and seeing everyone. Happy Easter, everybody. From the Brooks family. Happy Easter from the Nadolnies. We miss you. Hi, everyone at Foothill Family Church. This is Joan Starr. We're wishing you a blessed Resurrection Day. Happy Easter from the Milliviches! Hey, Foothill Family Church, Happy Easter. He is risen. Happy Easter, FFC family. Hello, church. We're just praying and worshiping with you guys. We hope you all are doing good. And Happy Easter! Happy Easter, church family. I miss you guys all. Um, I miss what I miss about church is all my friends. Happy, happy Easter. Easter, Foothill family. We miss you all. We just wanted to tell everybody Happy Easter and that we miss you and that we love you all. It's a dry desert without our church family. We miss small groups. We miss worship. We miss serving. We miss teaching the kids. We miss you. you. Hi, everyone. Brining's here. Um, looking forward to seeing you guys soon. Have a good Easter and stay safe out there. Hi. Hello. What we miss about Foothill family is the fellowship. And your smiles. Happy Easter and looking forward to seeing you soon. Greetings and happy Easter from Dean, Rosemary, and Benjamin Rausch. Happy Easter, everybody. Hey, Foothill Family Church. We love you. We miss you. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. Happy, happy Easter. Easter. Well, that was great to see everybody today. Happy Easter to you. We also want to let you know, um, if you follow us on Instagram, please take a picture of yourself, your family, however you're dressed. It could be in your PJs or your Easter best. I don't think many people are in their Easter best right now. But however you are, if you'll just take a picture of your family um, in the service today and then... Um, uh, what do they want to do? They want to copy, <laughs> copy 
copy us, hashtag us, do whatever, right? And let us know so we can post your picture of your family up there. If you're watching on Facebook, you can send it to us through Messenger. We would love to put up some fam uh, pictures of the families as they're watching the service today. And we need to see each other's faces because we love you and God bless you all. Um, also, just as a reminder, it's at the bottom of your screen. Um, if you want to tie, do uh, give in your tithe or your offering today, you can text to give. The information is at the bottom of the screen and will be there different times during, during the service. Um, Clarissa Venanzi, this is a real treat. She is here today. You can come, but back off. Don't get too close. Okay. <laughs> um, she's going to come, and she's got some beautiful songs that she's going to bless us with this morning. Christ the Lord is risen today, Alleluia. Sons of men and angels say, Alleluia. Raise your joys and triumphs high, Alleluia. Sing Stone said he is risen, just as he said. Quickly now, go tell his disciples that Jesus Christ is no longer dead. Joy to the world, he is risen. Alleluia, he's risen. can be born again. 
Hear the bells ringing, they're singing, Christ is risen from the dead. The angel up on the tombstone said he is risen, just as he said. Quickly now, go tell his disciples that Jesus Christ is no longer dead. Joy to the world, he is risen. Good morning, everyone. Happy Easter. We want to share some things with you this morning from God's Word concerning the fact that God never leaves us nor forsakes us. We're also, at the end of the service, going to be taking communion together. So if you have an opportunity, or I hope you take the opportunity, to get something that you can use for communion elements. It doesn't have to be uh, grape juice or anything like that, but um, uh, because it has to do with the attitude of our hearts, not the elements that we're using. You know, Jesus, according to the Gospel of John, experienced three different Passover meals with his disciples, but they didn't all have the same significance. The last one, which was the night that he was betrayed, he said to his disciples that he had great yearning and desire to, to spend that Passover meal with his disciples. And of course, we know from what John tells us, the things that Jesus said and did during that time he was with them during the Passover meal. Probably the most important thing was that he explained that the elements of the Passover represented his body and his blood. Well, in similar manner, here we are on Easter, and in some respects it's Easter just like it always has been, but in other respects, this is a unique time in the history of mankind. I want you to recognize the supernatural nature of the things that we're experiencing. Who would have imagined just six or eight weeks ago that the governments of the world would shut down the economy over a virus that's identified by scientists, medical community, as kind of a middle-of-the-road illness certainly not the most severe that we've experienced. And everything came to a halt over a virus that has a 99.34% recovery rate. These are supernatural things that are taking place around us. 
And I think we need to keep our eyes on the fact that how these things play into the last days. You know, Jesus said on two different occasions that the generation that saw the creation of the nation of Israel in 1948 would not pass away before all of the completed work of the church age is finished and he comes back for the church. Then on another occasion, he talked about Jerusalem. And he said that the generation that saw Jerusalem restored would be the generation that would see his return. Folks, we are that generation. We're the generation that has seen both of those things. The nation of Israel and Jerusalem won back unto the Jews through the Six-Day War in 1967. I can't help but look at things and recognize the signs of the times. We have been exposed to a work of the devil through mass hysteria more than any other time in the history of the world. If you go back and you look at the things that took place, the historical events that took place surrounding World War, excuse me, World War II, it's easy to see how fear and panic could grip people's hearts. But there's been nothing in our country's history that compares to the things that have gone on over the last few weeks. Now, fear is designed to stop us. It's designed, and it's a tool of the enemy, intended to paralyze us or to influence us so that we refuse or choose not to act on God's word, which is always the answer and the victory that belongs to us. So let's look at a few scriptures this morning about what the Bible says concerning fear and how we should respond to it. Isaiah chapter 41, verse 10, God speaking to his people said, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed. That word dismayed means confounded or broken down. It means don't ever come to the place where you say, What are we going to do now? Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Psalm 91 Verse 1, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. In other words, he's my defense. My God, in him will I trust. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. This noisome pestilence means rapidly growing or rushing in plague. He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Shield and buckler uh, represents protection, being surrounded with a shield. Thou shalt not be afraid of the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor the pestilence that walketh in darkness. Here's another word for plague. The pestilence that walks in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, 
and 10,000 at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation, there shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. Now, folks, the way that we make the Most High our habitation, that's the same thing as what Jesus was talking about in John 15, 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done for you of my Father which is in heaven. In other words, we make the word of God through the word of God, the keeping of the word of God. We make our habitation in him. So there shall no evil befall us, neither shall any plague come nigh our dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the adder. The young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample under feet. This is the authority that Jesus said that we would have because of his resurrection and his seating at the right hand of the Father. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Now I'm going to read from Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even my enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this I will be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord... That will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me upon, up upon a rock. And now shall my head be lifted up above my enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Now I want you to look with me over to Isaiah chapter 54, verse 14. In righteousness shalt thou be established. Thank God Jesus purchased that righteousness for us with his own blood. In righteousness thou shalt be established, firmly fixed, unmovable. Thou shalt be far from oppression for or because thou shalt not fear. And from terror for it shall not come near thee. I want you to notice the association that the Bible makes, the connection that he makes between fearing and being oppressed. Let me read it to you again. Thou shalt be far from oppression for or because thou shalt not fear. Fear is the door that opens to oppression. The refusal to fear is closing the door on the oppression of the enemy or any of the work that the enemy might bring against us. You remember Luke chapter 10, verse 19. Jesus said, Behold, I give unto you power or authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Now look with me over to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6. Paul said, Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands, for or because... 
God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Notice that fear is a spirit. Fear is a spiritual force. Now, we know, we've talked about uh, uh, some of these examples before, but you remember in Matthew chapter 14, it tells us about when Jesus had sent his disciples ahead to cross the Sea of Galilee and to meet him on the other side. Then at the fourth watch of the night, the early morning hours, Jesus came to where they were walking on the water. Well, that spooked them, as you could well understand. I'm sure it spooked us too. But they cried out saying it was a spirit or it was a ghost. And Jesus called back to him and said, don't be afraid, it's just me. Then Peter said, Lord, if it is you, bid me come to you on the water. And Jesus simply said, come. And the Bible says that Peter stepped out of the boat and walked on the water to go to Jesus. But then something changed. Peter was operating in a a, a miracle. He was walking on the water. I don't know exactly how that worked. I don't know if the water became solid as he took a step or if it worked some other way. But he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But then the Bible says, the scripture says, but when he saw the wind boisterous. Now, folks, you know as well as I do, we can't see the wind. We never see the wind, but we do see the effects of the wind. If we look outside to see if it's a windy day, we look to see if the trees are moving, the, the, the branches of the trees are bending in any way whatsoever. If we see leaves flo- being blown across the yard, then we recognize the wind is at work or at play. So when Peter saw the wind boisterous, he must have seen the effect on the wind, of the wind on the waves. That's the only way he could see it. Maybe a wave hit him in the side as he was walking on the way to Jesus. But however it happened, the Bible says Peter was afraid when he saw the wind. Now the wind had already been blowing. The Bible says in, Numbers, in uh, Matthew 14, earlier in the story, that there was a great storm of wind so that the boat was being swamped with waves that crashed over the side. So the wind didn't just start blowing when Peter walked on the water. The wind had already been there. It had always been there from the beginning of this experience that they had. Well, why didn't Peter think about the wind before he got out of the boat? Because he had his focus on something else. The only thing he was focused on was what Jesus said to him, which was the one word, come. So Peter acted on that word. And that word in the presence of a mega storm, in the presence of a great storm of wind, the wind wasn't sufficient to stop him from walking on the water when he gave his attention to Jesus. And so he was experiencing a great miracle right in the midst of this big storm. But it said when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink. The picture that conjures up is that he began to slowly go down into the water. And he cried out to Jesus to save him. And Jesus immediately put forth his hand and grabbed a hold of him. And said, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Why did you doubt? We didn't have to. He didn't have to give any meaning to the wind whatsoever. When he saw the wind and the effect that it was having on the waves while he was walking on the water to Jesus, 
Maybe he was hit by a wave, as we mentioned before. He could have stopped and looked at that and said, well, it wasn't enough to keep me from walking on the water this far. It doesn't have any power to keep me from walking on the water all the way to Jesus. But that's not what he did. He allowed fear. It says he was afraid. He allowed fear to dictate his actions. That's what fear is designed to do. It's designed to dictate your actions. Let me give you another example. Over in Mark chapter 5, the Bible tells us about Jairus who came to Jesus and said that his child was at the point of death, but he believed that if Jesus would come and lay his hands on her, that she would live and not die. Well, you know the story. He went with Jairus to his house, was on the way to his house, but then it tells us about the woman with the issue of blood, a certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years and spent all of her living on doctors and it was nothing better but rather grew worse. When she heard of Jesus came in the press behind because she said, if I may but touch his clothes, I shall be whole. So she touched him. And Jesus immediately perceiving in himself that virtue or power had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, who touched my clothes? And the disciples pointed to the crowd and said, everybody in this crowd is trying to touch you. What do you mean who touched you? Everybody that can reach you is touching you. But Jesus looked around about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, knowing what was done in her, came and fell before him, trembling, and told him all the truth. And Jesus said, Daughter, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. Now immediately, even before she finished talking and telling Jesus what had happened, there was a messenger that came from Jairus' house. And said, your daughter is dead. Don't trouble the master any further. Then Jesus did something that's quite remarkable. He turned to the man and said just a simple, gave you simple direction. He said, be not afraid, only believe. Be not afraid, only believe. Be not afraid, only believe. Now the man came to Jesus Originally, Jairus came to Jesus with the hope of Jesus laying his hands on his daughter and her being healed. He knew the seriousness of the situation. He said that she was at the point of death. But when Jesus addresses him and says, be not afraid, only believe, Jesus is simply giving him a warning. He's saying, don't give in to fear. Don't let fear change what you've already done. You've extended your faith. You've identified that if that he believes that if Jesus will just come lay his hands on his daughter, then she'll be whole. Jesus didn't tell him to believe anything extra. Jesus didn't tell him to do anything different than what he had done before. He simply says, stay in faith. Don't let fear take you out of faith. Stay in faith. Well, the man did. How did he do that? He didn't say anything else. He let the words of faith that he had spoken before Hold true and stand. Jesus didn't tell him that he needs to confess a lot, many, a lot more times on the way to his house. He doesn't tell him that he needs to do anything other than what he's done. He simply says, hold on to your faith. That's what be not afraid and only believe means in that case. Well, when Jesus gets there, there's quite a tumult 
taking place and people mourning over her death. But Jesus walks into the house and very simply says, why are you guys making this fuss? She's not dead. She's just asleep. Well, people that examined her and had been there with her for any length of time knew that she had already died. So they began scorning Jesus. He just simply puts everybody outside, goes back into where the daughter is, touches her hand, and says, damsel, arise, and she comes back to life. It didn't take any extra measure of faith for Jairus. It just simply required him to hold on to his faith, hold fast to his faith. Now, we just read several scriptures. I'll draw your attention back to first. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, we read verses 6 and 7, but verse 7 simply says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. When Jesus appears to his disciples and says, Fear not, as he did over and over again, whenever he was doing something that astounded them, something that was contrary to the laws of nature, or superseded those laws of nature. He always appeared with a happy report. Fear not, it's me. Don't be afraid. Now how many times do we have to see that God says in his word not to fear before we accept it to be what he wants? How many times do we have to see scriptures that say fear not, for God is with us and God's on our side before we accept that to be true? What would it take? Would it take a hundred times? Not 99, but a hundred? What will it take for us to accept that fear not is the state of being that God intends for us to live in and walk in here in this earth? The Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. In other words, God is saying, if I say something two or three times, you can count on it being truth. If I say something two or three times, then you can know that what I have said will truly come to pass. It is the word of God. And folks, there are hundreds of times in the Bible where it tells us not to fear and to, to stand against fear, to overcome fear with faith. When we allow fear to dictate our actions, to paralyze us, or to take action contrary to the word of God. Then we've allowed a spiritual force. That will truly come to pass. To take sway in our lives. You remember even Job said that which I have greatly feared has come upon me. Fear is the thing the tool of the enemy. In his attempt to influence us and rob us of the blessings of God. Now look with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Verse 15. Paul writing by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. Said wherefore I also after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints. Cease not to give thanks for you making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. He's not asking that we would have something that, we don't already, that doesn't already belong to us. 
He's just asking that our spiritual eyes would be open to see what we have and who we are. The eyes of your understanding or your spirit being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Notice the power of God is described and on display here. Remember Paul told Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. See, when the Bible speaks to us about having power to overcome the spirit of fear, it's telling us that we have everything that we need to be able to walk through this world and walk in this world absolutely fearless. Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses, and with his stripes we are healed. So we have nothing to fear from sickness and disease. Even if symptoms try to attach themselves to our bodies, we have nothing to fear from sickness and disease because God's word is true and God's word is his power put in effect. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. That would include the word of God or all the word of God. For yet the word of God is the power of God unto salvation. That word salvation means to deliver, to rescue, to make safe, to make sound, and to make whole. God's word is the power of God unto all those things. Well, if we've got the power of God, if the word of God is God's power, as it says, and we have access to the word and we know how to exercise our authority or put the word into practice, we do that by choosing to speak the word and agreeing with the word no matter what circumstances look like in our lives. If we have that power over sickness and disease, then why should we ever be afraid of sickness and disease? If we have that power to deliver us from whatever adversity or whatever difficulty the devil is trying to bring against us in our lives here on this earth, if we have deliverance, then what is there to fear from the adversity that we're experiencing? If the power of God, the Word of God, is His power to make safe, then what do we have to fear? What danger do we have to fear? Now, I know this is a little different way of looking at things from what some people would accept. But folks, when we begin to speak God's Word, when we identify and, and examine our lives to identify where we are fearful, areas that we are fearful, when we expose that and call it out and say what God's Word says instead of what we feel or what things look like in our bodies, then fear rises up like a mighty force and drives out all symptoms of fear and doubt and worry and concern because we're standing on the rock of his word. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Paul goes on to say, again, verse 19, and what is the exceeding greatness the Holy Spirit is impressing Paul to pray that we would know and recognize what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe. To usward who believe. To usward who believe. Now Jesus said believing in God or having faith in God was believing the word in your heart and saying it with your mouth. So when it says what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, we could insert there 
the exceeding greatness of his power to those who confess the word. It's not talking about a passive believing. It's not talking about just a state of being where we say, yeah, well, Jesus took these things upon himself and he bought for us righteousness and healing. He's talking about going on the offensive. You know, in the Bible where it says, in Matthew 16, Jesus asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? Peter answered for the group and he said, well, some say you're Elijah and some say you're Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. But then Jesus said, who do you say I am? And Peter again answered for the group and he said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus says, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood is not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto you that upon this rock, the revelation, the truth that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, folks, think about this for a moment. What are the gates of hell? Gates are a defensive position, a part of a fortress or a wall, aren't they? So when Jesus said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against me, we so often look, and I think most of the world, most of the church in this world sees the church as in a defensive position holding out until the end when Jesus comes. That's not the picture Jesus paints. Jesus implies that we're on the offensive and, the, and Satan's defenses are no match for us. So here where it says that the Holy Spirit would have us to know the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe. That means people that are on the offensive. Those that are actively confessing the word of God. Those that are actively searching out, seeking out those places where we may have been fearful in the past. But to pull down those strongholds, those defensive positions, those wrong doctrines that we've allowed ourselves to be influenced by. What is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe, the confessing ones, according to the working of his mighty power? In other words, this is how God's power works. It works by confessing the truth of the word, no matter what it looks like, no matter what we feel like, no matter what the devil's screaming in our ear throughout the process. It's saying the word works when we speak it. Well, we certainly found that to be true in other places in other scriptures. But we need to examine the things that we have been afraid of in the past. We need to examine, call those things out. I know that one of the last things the Lord said to me concerning the situation that I'm dealing with in my physical body, I was praying, or actually I had been praying uh, for a long time one, on one certain day several hours in the spirit praying in the spirit I mean and then all of a sudden I wasn't really thinking about anything I wasn't really meditating on anything I'd just gotten quiet my mind had just come to a place of stillness and rest and all of a sudden it's like these words floated up from the inside of me and when I recognized what they were then I just spoke them out and, and, and these were the words that came up from the inside of me. The fear is not of me. The fear is not of me. Well, that's kind of an unusual way to say something. And I recognize that that's not the way that I would say it if I was the one 
initiating the speech. But I recognize it's the Holy Ghost trying to show me that there was an element of fear that I hadn't dealt with. There was a part of being afraid of sickness and disease or some aspect of sickness and disease that I had not dealt with. Now, if you had asked me, is there any fear? Do I have any fear about sickness and disease? I would have answered unequivocally, no, instantly, no. Because I know what the Word says. I know that the Bible says Jesus took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses, and with his stripes we are healed. Well, that's enough to keep me steady. That's enough to keep fear from coming around. But I realized, and the time that it affects me the most is when I'm preaching. Funny how that works, huh? I realized, for the first time, I realized that there was an element of fear not attached to the idea that I wouldn't receive my healing or wouldn't take hold of my healing. Not that it, it was something would happen and the Lord wouldn't raise me up. Those are established things for me and have been for a long time. But there was a fear of standing in front of people that had crept in because of the, because of the symptoms. I'm a very private person by nature. And I don't like to talk about myself or tell anything much about myself. And I certainly don't like to be in a situation where people can see symptoms that are taking place in my body. And I realized that that fear had a lot to do with nervousness. Now, folks, I've been confessing, and, and I do believe, I will always believe, that because my words come to pass, Every trace of every symptom will leave my body. There will not be one symptom left. There will not be one bit of evidence in any way whatsoever for anybody to know that this thing had ever happened to me. That's something I've been confessing. That's something I believe. I don't have to try to confess it to make myself believe. I am absolutely established. You couldn't beat that out of me with a ball bat. But I realized, by revelation of the Holy Ghost, I realized that there was a fear and a nervousness that had attached itself to, this, to the condition that I'm believing God about. So I began to say that the fear and the nervousness is not of me. I began to say that I'm free from the fear and the nervousness that the devil would bring against me. Well, it didn't take long before the, the, even the slightest bit, the slightest hint of fear and nervousness left my body. I'm still believing. I'll always believe in healing. But I'm not bound by the fear and the nervousness anymore. I'm not bound by what people think. Now, you might think that the way we're having to do church through this live stream might be more difficult in my case than if I had a room full of people. But folks, the nervousness and the fear that was trying to come upon me wasn't as a result of the people. It was a result of the devil trying to tell me that 
my mind won't work right or well enough to draw up the scriptures that the Lord had given me before. There have been a lot of things that have changed in the, in the makeup of my mind. Thank God I have the mind of Christ. And that means a whole lot of different things in my situation. At least it means that to me. So when we find fear, we need to address it. We need to face it. That's the advice that I've been, I've been giving people for the last 35 or 40 years when they're facing something. Most often, I guess it's easier for us to try to hide ourselves from fear or not address what fears there may be. I've had people on numerous occasions come to me and want me to pray for their healing. And I, and I will, I do. But then in a few days they come back and they're distraught because some new symptom has come up or some symptom that they had before has regenerated or they haven't found any difference or change in their bodies or whatever the case might be. And here's the devil trying to influence them, trying to paralyze them, trying to make them turn loose of the faith that they exercised by telling them that nothing will ever change for them. Sometimes it comes to a doctor's diagnosis. We'll pray for somebody's healing and then the doctor the next day or two days after or whatever will tell them, bring them a report that's not in line with what we're believing. And so often people try to hide themselves from the doctor's report. But folks, circumstances don't change the truth of God's word. Whatever diagnosis the doctor brings to us or whatever symptoms are present in our bodies does not change the truth of God's word in the least little bit. When the devil tells you things are getting worse, what of it? Who cares? It doesn't matter what it looks like in our bodies. It doesn't matter whether there are symptoms or are not symptoms. God's word is still the same. His word is still true. I've been praying for a long time, for many years, that the Lord will guide me into the reality of my healing. When I saw, and it really struck home with me in John chapter 14, that the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. That word truth means reality. So whatever area of truth you need the power of God to restore you or bring you back to a place of divine health or divine protection. Find those fears. Face those fears. Speak God's word to those fears. And watch his word do mighty things. Paul prayed that we would know what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Here's the power he's talking about. The power that he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him right at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion. And every name that is named not only in this world but also in that which is to come. Now we recognize that he's talking about the power of the devil. So let's read it that way. This is the power that dwells in us. The power that he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all of the devil's power and might. Far above all the power of the devil. 
and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and has put all things under his feet, under the church, and gave him to be the head of, over all things to the church. Now, chapter 2 tells us that that authority is the same for us as it is for Jesus. And that's why when Jesus was resurrected, he told his disciples, all authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Then he commissioned them instantly. He commissioned them to go into the earth. In other words, he says, I'll take care of the authority in heaven. You take care of things here on the earth. We've been raised together with Christ and seated with him in heavenly places. Far above all of the work of the devil. Well, we know that fear is the work of the devil. So we could say that God has raised us up and seated us together with Christ Jesus as joint heirs with him. Far above all the fear of the devil. Far above all the influence of the devil. Far above all the work of the devil. Far above anything and everything the devil has. That's where he's raised us up to be. Now, folks, the situation that we're in, the situation that our country is in and the world is in relative to this coronavirus. By the way, the word corona is the word, it means crown. And the earth has crowned a sickness and disease, really a low-level or moderate sickness and disease, has crowned that sickness and disease to be the thing that influences everything that we do, everything that world governments are doing, everything about the world's economy, all of those things have been made subject by choice to the COVID-19 virus. That's unheard of. That's unprecedented. And the only way that the devil has made it stick is by stirring up fear among the people. But folks, there's nothing for the believer. There's nothing for the Christian to fear. There's nothing for the person that confesses the word of God that Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. There's nothing for us as the family of God to fear. And if there is any fear attached to that, we need to be honest with ourselves and face it and speak God's word instead of what the fear is influencing us to do. God has put all the power of the devil under our feet. Now, lest you think that I'm saying something I'm not, I believe that history will look back on this time and identify a couple of things. First of all, I think it's a turning point where individual freedoms are concerned. We know the devil has identified world governments as the one of or the main area that he exercises his authority. And so I think there will be some things about this time that will result in diminished freedoms for the church. But I think there's something else also that this will mark. And that is the time when the glory of the Lord began to move. The time when the Holy Spirit began to pour his, himself out upon us. When the reign of God will come and perform glorious and wonderful works in the name of Jesus. Haggai chapter 2 verse 6. 6 through 9. Uh, these are scriptures that the Lord gave us to pray. Many years ago. And we've been praying them. Now for eight or, eight or nine years I guess. 
Verse 6, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, Yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. Now the shaking that he's talking about, he's talking about stability. Shaking the nations or shaking people around the earth that don't believe in him that work creates and inspires fear. But the shaking that takes place in the earth shall not hinder or shall have little effect upon those that have built their lives upon the word of God. You remember Jesus talked about the people that built their house on the sand versus the ones that built their house on the rock. The believers, the church, have been given power so that there is no shaking of them, so that they cannot be shaken. Now here where it says the desire of all nations shall come, Paul wrote to the church and said that the earth is groaning and travailing until the manifestation of the sons of God. So the desire of all nations means when the church stands up and becomes the church, when the church begins doing the work of Jesus, and folks, I've got to tell you, some of the reports that we get of the way that people in our church are ministering to other people and through these blogs and internet uh, chat rooms and different things like that, the technology that's available, there are people that are stepping up to minister to other people and answer their questions and share Jesus with them that would probably never have done anything like that if not for being forced into it this way. So God said, I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. And here's the result of the shaking for the church. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, folks, one of the things that's been shaken has been the world's economies. So it's interesting to me how then in the last day instruction where God's talking about the desire of all nations shall come, the manifestation of the sons of God, in other words. He talks about provision. Don't worry about what the stock market's going to do when they restart the economy. Don't worry about whether or not they call it a recession or a depression. Don't worry about any of that because God has silver and gold set aside for his people in the last days. He'll see us through. So we don't have to be afraid of sickness and disease for Jesus took the penalty of that upon him. We don't have to be afraid of poverty or not having enough because the chastisement of our peace was upon him. We don't have to be afraid of anything that the devil does because God is on our side. So he says, it is a little while and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land and I will shake all nations and the desire of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. Folks, do you realize how exciting it is to know and to recognize that the church is going to start operating in the glory of God in these last days? That's a wonderful thing to look forward to. When the world is worried about what happens next, the church should rejoice because of what happens next. I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. 
The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. Peace in the church, peace in the body of Christ makes a whole lot more sense to us now than it did two months ago. Jesus knew the turmoil that the earth would experience. Folks, the stock market has gone down by about a third, lost about a third of its value. Do you realize the fear that that can bring to people that were looking to retire on money that now no longer they, they no longer have? There's a lot of people that are experiencing fear, fear of the unknown, fear of the future, fear of what's going to happen next. But the people of God will be the ones who have peace. We can have peace in the midst of a virus. We can have peace in the midst of sickness and disease. We can have peace in the midst of a stock market that may seem unreliable. An economic system. Who knew the world's economy was so fragile? But we have a promise that in this place, God will bring peace. I don't think there's any more important thing that we can do right now than to identify where we might be suffering the effects of fear in our lives and face those fears and speak God's word and watch the glory of the, of the Lord lift us up. These are perilous times, according to what Paul said, Strength-reducing times. But if we don't allow ourselves to fear, but instead stand strong in the truth of the word, there's a lot of things we don't know. There's a lot of things about the future that are uncertain and unclear. But one thing we do know, God will never leave us nor forsake us. He will strengthen us. He will help us. He will uphold us with the right hand of his righteousness. Now, folks, as I mentioned earlier at the beginning of the service, we want to receive communion on this Easter. We want to partake of these elements that represent the body and the blood of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Paul said, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this bread that represents the body of Jesus. We know from your word, Lord, that Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses and with his stripes we are healed no matter what it looks like no matter what we're facing we receive this bread as the very healing power of God himself we rebuke sickness and disease we command it to leave our bodies we refuse to allow any sickness any disease to take hold of our flesh 
in the precious and holy name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you willingly offered yourself to provide your healing power, your healing goodness, and your healing mercy to your children. So as we receive this bread now, Father, we declare that we're healed from the top of our heads to the soles of our feet. We declare that no evil shall befall us, neither shall any plague come nigh our dwelling. We declare that we are free by the finished work of Jesus. Free in body, free to enjoy divine health and renewed strength. Let's receive the bread. After the same manner also, Jesus took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. Let's pray over this cup. Father, we thank you that this represents the blood of Jesus which was shed for us. We thank you, Father, in the precious and holy name of Jesus that you made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And in that righteousness we are established, Father. Therefore, we have no fear. We are not afraid of what the devil can do to us, we're not afraid of sickness and disease, for Jesus paid that price. We're not afraid of poverty or having to do without, for you are on our side. The silver and gold belongs to you. And so, Father, we receive this cup as a sign, as proof that Jesus took our sins upon himself and that he gave us his righteousness. Therefore, our sins are forgiven. We've been washed in the blood of Jesus. We stand before you, Father, in perfect righteousness, righteousness that had nothing to do with us, but everything to do with the precious blood of Jesus. Let's receive the cup. Let's just thank God for his mercy for a moment. Father, we bless you. We thank you that we are in your hand and no man can take us out of your hand, Father. We thank you for making a way in these last days for the church to stand and be the church, for people to minister to others, to minister the peace of God so that they need not fear. Holy Spirit, we ask you to guide us into all reality. Show us, open our eyes. Show us things that we may be harboring fear, that we might face it and dispel it with the truth of the Word of God. Father, we thank you that we've not been given a spirit of fear, but instead what we have is power. What we have is the love of God. And what we have is a sound mind, renewed mind, according to the Word of God. Thank you, Father, that you keep us in perfect peace 
because our minds are stayed on you, because we trust in you. We love you, Father. And we thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Folks, these are days of glory. They may be perilous times. There may be a lot of people, even among the church, who lose strength. But because we stand upon his word, because we believe the word and speak the word, we shall be victorious over it all. In the name of Jesus. God bless you. Thank you for being with us, folks. Have a great Easter. And we'll see you next time.